Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby. Hello, and welcome to Movies vs. Capitalism. This is a podcast where we look at movies from an anti-capitalist lens. I'm Rivka. And I'm Frank. And Riv, we're right between the Super Bowl and Valentine's Day, and I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm just getting like demolished by from both sides to like be the most consumer that I could possibly be <laughs> like right now. I feel like I've been doing a pretty good job of dodging it all. How? I'm, I've never, I've just never been in the Super Bowl zeitgeist, like, could, barely knew until someone told me yesterday. Oh, sure. I mean, and for the record, I also don't give a shit about the Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, just, I just mean culturally. Yeah, I mean, I just think probably by the nature of your gender, maybe the algorithm shoots more at you because algorithms are definitely probably gender biased. Sure. Although I've trained my algorithms to know that I, I don't care about sports. Don't even bother with them. So wait, so, so let me ask first. Did you watch the Super Bowl? No. Okay. We established I was at the gym. Got it. Well, I did watch maybe like the first 10 minutes. Um, I was over at my family's. It was my dad's birthday. Oh, that's uh, right. Happy birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday to Tom. If you're listening. We've established Tom listens. We, we have. And Tom, happy birthday. Yeah, so they had the game on when it started. So I caught a little bit of it. I just was, it's just such a bummer watching an event like the Super Bowl. And I feel the same way when I go into like a big box store these days, like a Target or something, <laughs> where I just feel like I'm just getting barraged by advertisements and mm -hmm. just like all of the corporate tie-ins where it's just like different celebrities promoting different brands in different ways and there was this whole like SpongeBob SquarePants tie-in with the entire Super Bowl. So like the whole SpongeBob crew were on screen here and there. It's just like how many brands, how many corporate entities can get together to just fuck your face with advertisement for like <laughs> five hours is what it feels like to me. I'm just, I was just thinking, I know I've mentioned this before, but having the radical experience of being able to go to Cuba and just the first time I was like, this is what it feels like to not be face fucked by advertisements. <laughs> and I, I, yeah, it was life changing. It felt it was the best. It was so such a relief, it, a relief I didn't know I needed. So yeah, I can't imagine that. That sounds so that sounds so freeing. But I don't really actually know what happened with the game. I don't really care. We don't, we're not here to talk about that. But uh, we are going to talk about Taylor Swift because she was arguably the most important part of the game last night. Yeah. Much to the chagrin of, I don't know, I guess like conservatives, Republicans, people who generally don't like Joe Biden. And let's be clear. She was probably one of the biggest advertisements there. Oh, for Just sure. to clarify. Her very presence advertising herself and her new album coming later this year. The Poets Locker Club or something. Yeah, some shit like that. But yeah, I I mean, I found this whole Taylor Swift controversy, if you want to even call it a controversy, it's just it just felt like another very hollow, empty culture war bullshit argument thing between the left and the right. It's so sad because it's such a waste of time and energy. What a stupid it, fucking distraction. Fuck all of that. Stupid distraction. I mean, if you were, if you even give a, I'm speechless because I'm like, how do you, how do you even articulate there's a genocide happening without just saying that over and over? Who could even stomach to 
really sit through and and talk about the Super Bowl as if it's that fucking important right now. It's just... And that the thing that ruined it for some people was Taylor Swift. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Not even, yeah, you're right. Not even thinking about what's happening in Gaza right now, moving right past that and being like, you know what the big problem with the Super Bowl is tonight? That Taylor Swift is there. That's our big problem that we all need to talk about. So I did a little bit of research into this because I was like, why are, why are conservatives so angry at her right now? And basically the genesis was a New York Times report in late January that Biden was seeking Taylor Swift's endorsement. Uh, which is, you know, that's what our presidential candidates do is seek celebrity endorsements. And it just absolutely infuriated, uh, you know, conservatives, Republicans, right wingers, a lot of whom were fans of Taylor because her roots are in country music before she really became like a global pop star. And then, of course, you know, her boyfriend, Travis Kelsey, because he is the football player and her presence in the game as this potential Biden's government psyop. Americana. Like the documentary about her. You would think that. You would think she would be embraced wholeheartedly. You know, just it, it, it has football player and cheerleader vibes. But and to be clear, Taylor has not said that she's going to endorse Biden. So it's just the very possibility of Taylor's, you know, liberal political credentials as limited as they are entering into this sphere of like pure competition and sportsmanship that should not be infiltrated by politics, even though the U.S. military pays for advertisements and flyovers regularly. So, yeah, just felt like a bunch of bullshit. I think if there's anything else to add to this conversation for people who maybe haven't been following the annoyance that is this moment for Taylor Swift is also just... It's not just I don't care about her personality becoming evidently annoying or being perceived as annoying because that's I, I I could imagine that if I was to ever become well known in that level, like I would probably be perceived as really annoying. Sure. Sometimes I listen to this podcast and I'm like, that's an annoying person. I was going to say, <laughs> I, I'm probably annoying right now without that level of fame or money. So the personality stuff aside, she has a dangerous carbon footprint. Yes. Her amount of power just by being such a piece of capitalism that she is and holding the power as like being like a walking advertisement makes her just dangerous and being that she is, her being is actually a threat to like our climate. Her team went ahead and decided to take action against threaten legally threaten Jack Sweeney, who's a junior at the University of Southern Florida, who's been providing social media updates on takeoffs and landings of her personal jet, which is a public service. Exactly. Like a really freaking awesome thing to do. Yeah, this is all publicly available flight information. But her, but her team is arguing that this information, quote, has no legitimate interest in or public need for this information other than to stalk, harass, and exert dominion and control over Taylor. Ridiculous. Which actually means maybe they perceive some kind of threat there or they're just petty as fuck. Either way, it's kind of odd you would draw attention to it because it didn't put her in a... Everyone's like, leave him a, Like, you're bullying a college student. That's all. That's the spin game, baby. You know, it's it's yeah. it's it's not someone reporting on Taylor's carbon footprint. It's someone harassing her and trying to dox her regularly so that stalkers yeah. can come and hurt her. That's what it is. It's just a PR I guess the spin. idea was maybe we can hold on to some of the Swifties and make them. It's only going to look worse. You're only drawing attention to this issue. I mean, I got to imagine that there have been some Swifties who have seen a lot of this behavior over the last few weeks, months, and been like, oh, maybe. 
Maybe I'm growing out of this. But most of the discourse has been about the personality and how vulgar and strange. I mean, we didn't talk about the Grammys, but at the Grammys, she came on stage and used it as like a moment to advertise her new album when she won her, I think it was 13th Grammy. And then, you know, all you could see all the other artists were so upset about that. And while it was cringy for sure, I think it was actually like a moment of lifting the veil she's just like so yeah, it was a mask off moment it was mask off it was like yeah this is what this is a giant ad campaign and she for, for forgot for a second that you were supposed to pretend it was really like about the art <laughs> yeah all of this is has just been another reminder to me in that we should not look to or depend on our celebrities to do anything that mm -hmm. we want them to do because first and foremost celebrities like taylor swift they exist in a class to and of themselves, you know, they, they not only are they extraordinarily wealthy, they're also extraordinarily famous. So they ha they hold this cultural cachet for them to do the things that we as leftists, as socialists, as progressives, whatever, whatever, the, the bare fucking minimum for them to do the things that we want them to do threatens their class position. So we just need to stop expecting anything out of these people. I mean, if they do something great, otherwise we should not look to them at all. Although it is a bummer because there is, there could be some utility to this cultural elite class. Like I was talking to a buddy recently about, because the Super Bowl was coming up, about what would it be like if all of the NFL players got together and were like, we're going to stop playing. We're going on strike until the U.S. Congress does transformational campaign finance reform. You know, it's a fun thought experiment. I would never expect it, but. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's so natural for us to grasp grasp at those ideas I do it all the time you know because it's really still we're still learning and trying to figure out what real true worker power and solidarity looks like and just like even with a group of NFL players it's like I don't think like as I'm trying to figure out this structural stuff I just there's something that it's not enough you know at where they are and the role they play no you're right there's always going to there's going to be institutional opposition. There needs to be like organizational infrastructure, you know, all of that. It's you're right. It's not as it's not as simple as flipping a switch and being like, "Well, the NFL players want healthcare now, so now you got to give it to everyone." We have hero stories and those are all this that's the structure we know, so it's like natural for our brains to crave and desire that and we're constantly fighting it and trying to dissect it and battle it, and that's part of what we do here on Movies versus Capitalism. That's very true. Speaking of, we should get to our conversation today about our Valentine's Day movie, 27 Dresses. But before we do, we just want to let our audience know that this podcast is produced by the two of us. We perform all of the necessary labor to make this show happen. And as we're trying to practice our anti-capitalist values, we will not be selling ads on this show. We rely completely on community support to keep the show going. So if you're able to support us, please consider subscribing to our Patreon. For just $5 a month, you get access to our entire back catalog of premium episodes, and you'll be directly supporting this show. You can also leave us a one-time contribution in our tip jar, and you can find all of those links in the episode description in your podcast player or by going to mvcpod.com. You can also help us out for free by leaving a rating and review for this show on your podcast player. It only takes a few seconds, and it is very helpful in boosting the algorithm and getting this show in front of more people, so we really appreciate it. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back with our conversation about 27 Dresses with Erica Baton. Today, we have joining us one of my favorite people on the planet, Erica Bitten. Am I my favorite people on the planet? And I always pronounce your last name incorrectly. <laughs> Am I saying it right? Everyone does. 
It's baton. It's baton. I I knew the correct pronunciation. I knew it was baton. Yeah. No, you it is did? baton. But like when I first met you, which we'll which we'll get into. I so I always have bitten like in my yeah initial. yeah yeah everyone. Everyone. Erica Baton. They'll like, in, yeah, at my funeral, they'll all be saying Bitten. <laughs> is a performer and writer currently living in Los Angeles. She is performing her solo show, Vacuum Girl. Vacuum Girl is a one-hour live performance in which Erica performs the entire script of her TV show while simultaneously scoring the piece with lights and sound. It has been getting so so many great things have been said about it. I haven't seen it yet, but I just know that everybody who sees it is like, you have to run to see this show immediately. I'm trying to bring it to New York so I don't have to fly out to LA to see it, but it's going <laughs> to yes. happen. Bring me. Tell us a bit about just your, like the process of what is it about and how is it going? Where are you performing it? It's going well. Is that the first question? It's going well. I'm doing it. Um, it's, <laughs> it's so fun. I'm two years in. Right now I do it at the Elysian in LA and I got to do it at Red Cat this summer, which was amazing. And it's uh, it's cool because it started as like a literal attempt at pitching a show I wrote. And so I like the first time I did it was in a warehouse or like a storefront that I rented a bunch of chairs and just shoved a bunch of people that love me in there and was like, let's see if this works. And I'm like still doing it and I definitely want to come to New York and do it for you there. That's the goals. But right now I'm just like enjoying every time I get to do it and and like praying that I get to keep doing it and possibly do it more than I get to do it. Yes, you got to the point which I was trying to ask and forgive me, I do have COVID. So I have a bit of a COVID. What? So if my... You have COVID? I, I know. <laughs> well, it's I'm like so day sorry. three or four. It's, you Are know you what I okay? mean? Like at this point I'm... I'm fine. I'm just quarantined and a little slow. You're very good looking thinking. with COVID. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I try. But you got to the point we talk. We've been talking a lot with uh, creators who are doing anti-capitalist filmmaking. And now we get to dive into some theater work with you because as you started to say, you initially wrote this to be a pilot. And can you talk a bit about like the genesis of how it then became this one woman show and the the reasons for that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I would love to hear, as someone who wrote a, a lot of television scripts, I I'm, would love to mm -hmm. hear about, yeah, like wh wh where the idea came to then turn this into yeah. this like conceptual theater piece. Well, basically, I, I've been, I had been writing this show for years and I couldn't ever really, it just, just the concept of it kept getting away from me and I kept being like, never mind, it doesn't work and I'll just waitress. But anyways, once I finally got a handle on like, oh, I think I know what it is. I Here's the pilot. I know what it is. I had a friend of mine um, who's like in the biz and I'm very much not in the biz. Like I've never had an agent. Any audition I've had is because like someone saw me in something and they called their cousin or whatever. So I he was like, we're going to meet. I'm going to set you up on meetings with like people and you're going to send your pilot out to them. And I've. I've been like tangential to the business long enough to know that like I wasn't I've been told so many times so many things right like you're not really the lead we don't really know what ethnicity you are you're you're now too old for this but you're too young for this and if only you spoke Farsi and blah 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 so I was like and I've been told like you know as we all are is like what's your social media how many followers you have classic like are you famous? Yep. 
And I was none yeah. of those things. So it, I just realized like, oh, this thing that I wrote from my guts that is definitely me that has to play this role. If I sent it out to a bunch of people, if for some reason it got made, they bought it, they liked the idea, it would be so, it was just impossible for me to think that they would let me be the lead character and have full creative control because I don't have a following, I'm not famous and I'm not like, I don't have like a crazy IMDb, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, cancel those meetings, bro. I do know how to do one thing really well, which is get on stage in front of a bunch of people. And I'm like the campaigner in Myers-Briggs. You know? So I'm like yes. very, like, I'm ready. <laughs> but anyways, so I was like, I know how to get in front of a bunch of people. Like I'm a trained theater actor, like let's go. And it just became my, I don't know, I wanted to control everybody's way of taking in my story. And I didn't want to leave anybody any space to imagine a movie star or, a, you know, like a woman that is not Sephardic, Jewish, Moroccan, you know, muddy, kind of mutt, not muddy, mutt. So anyways, yeah, it, it felt really scary. But the night I got home after the first show, it felt like the most punk rock thing I had ever done. And I like cried. I was like, this is so much more fulfilling. Like, even if I don't sell this show, like, I feel like I have my own back in a way that I've been told I couldn't. And I was like, I do now, bitch. So yeah, uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh. it's so inspiring. And it's so important to hear examples of that. And I can again, like I said, I've, I'm seeing it working. I'm seeing your vision come to fruition. But that's like a big deal to be like, you know what, I'm actually going to I mean, it's anti-capitalist to be like, I'm going to say no to the incentive of that system, which is mm -hmm. make a bunch of money if someone buys it, even if it means yeah. I don't get to follow through with my artistic visions, my right. my right. guts, my soul. Like, I will just say yes and hope for the next the, the mm -hmm. next imagined journey. Maybe this will get me to the next place, that like illusion and go on and do this thing because ultimately you said yes to yourself and yes to that project. It doesn't solve the fact that like there's not necessarily any healthcare or profit, mm. you know, <laughs> yeah, that comes along with it. But like, yeah, fucking it make it's brave as fuck. It is punk rock. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud to know you. And for that example, it's yeah. also super fucking cool, Erica, that like you're because I think a lot of people in that position, you know, you have this TV show idea and you want to do it the way that you want to do it. The next thing that someone would usually do, especially in L.A., is be like, all right, well, then I guess I'll pay to produce the pilot, which is mm -hmm. this enormous endeavor that costs so much money. And I, mm -hmm. that's so cool that you were like, no, 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 no. My roots are in my theatrical training and my love for being on stage mm -hmm. and my love for theater. And I'm going to synthesize this story with what I know that I'm good at and what I'm what I love. Yeah, it's that's not the normal route that someone yeah. would take. So it's so cool. And I'm echo okay. everything that Rivka says. It's so awesome. It's awesome. Well, the other options, too, which I think speak to the themes of this film, which we'll get into, it's like, oh, I'll then change myself to fit into all to that narrative <laughs> yeah. that you were taught. I'll yeah. spend all the money to fit, yeah. change myself to fit the which we're seeing more and more like strikingly younger and younger people changing the shape of their actual bone structure and skin like you know <laughs> brand new yeah I was told by like a pretty huge casting director when I was like in my mid-20s to take out a loan so that I could get a personal trainer and and lose you right like 
a bunch of weight and get really ripped. And she said, you need to take lessons on how to contour your face to be a different shape. And this is like a huge casting director who like, and saw me as an actress and was like, I think you're really good. Unfortunately, you like, you have to take out a bunch of money. And I fucking took the loan out from my aunt. And I spent it on like movies and food with friends. Like I couldn't, you know, I was like, yes, I'm going to do it. I'm going to turn myself into. Uh, and then I just like it wasn't in me. So I think that like I also had working for me the sort of fatigue, you know, like uh, being mm. like, 30. I think I was like 32 when I first started this. And it was like I was pissed. I was pissed that this is where we're at. I was pissed that I was already aging out of whatever and and it and being pissed sort of fueled me to be like suck my d f everyone am i allowed to curse on this podcast curse yes. as much as you want yeah <laughs> please well so yeah and it and it's cool because like i i'm grateful to hear that it's anti-capitalist because i feel like it didn't i didn't know that's what was happening i just knew that i was in a corner and my brain came my brain or my heart or my whatever was like let's get you out of this corner in this way. And um, yeah, I like am exhausted and very broke all of the time and it's exhausting and you do it all by yourself and you lug all the equipment and you beg everyone to come and it can feel like, you know, God, will someone just like pluck me up and give me a bunch of money? But when you get on stage and you do the thing, I leave that theater like, oh, I actually don't care. Like that sounds great to have healthcare, or like, you know, fancier whatever, like gas in my car or whatever people are using their money for. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it, I, you know, something, it feeds something in you that makes you like, oh, it's never been about that and it's okay. Well, I this is a good segue to the movie that we're going to talk about. But I also do want to talk about just, I was going to mention how Eric and I met each other because it does feel like someone should write a rom-com about this. Perhaps it will be us. <laughs> But we know each other because my high school boyfriend, who, of course, was the person that I thought I was going. I was like, you know, it's the first time you fall in love. You're like, I'm going to marry this person and have their children. It's Mm -hmm. all the things. And so that didn't happen. But we did do the thing where we were like, we're going to we're going to do this long distance, even though like you get into college and you're like, yeah, we're going to be in opposite coasts we're like yeah we'll make this work like absolutely i mean i think immediately we got to campuses and we're like uh we're all so horny and i like well yeah (laughs) and you're free and you're like yeah but i will say this person who will will not say his name so basically where you were going was that he was your first love in high school and then he became my best friend in college turned into my first love so i hadn't had my first love yet so, and I had known about you because when we were best friends for two years, I knew about you. You were his girlfriend turned ex-girlfriend, love of his life. You came to visit. You were so hot. You were so cool. You were like a photographer and took pictures and yeah. And, and we were like, oh my God, he has the coolest girlfriend. And then we became best friends like once we graduated college. And when I moved to Los Angeles, yeah. Once he broke my he heart. kind of... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He was out of the picture. And it was like clear to me. I was like, this was the love affair that was meant to. I meant for the ages. Yeah. This is our rom-com. But we're not we're not talking about such a nuanced rom-com today or pretend maybe we are. We're talking about the delusion of getting married. 
even though I'm still wanting to get married, so. Okay, then we'll go We'll <laughs> so. go easy on the institution of marriage. This is the first time I ever have seen this movie. Today we're talking about the Katherine Heigl joint, 27 Dresses, directed by Anne Fletcher, written by Aline Brosh McKenna, who is like a, a, like a rom-com comedy heavyweight screenwriter. She wrote The Devil Wears Prada, so, you Ooh. know, like good, oh. like solid pedigree. This film stars... Catherine Heigl, James Marsden, Judy Greer, Ed Burns, and Malin Ackerman. The budget was $30 million, made 162 worldwide. This wow. is a solid hit. Wow. It blows my mind. I, yeah. And if you've never seen this movie, which I don't recommend, the, the story <laughs> is uh, after serving as a bridesmaid in 27 different weddings, matrimony-obsessed Jane finds herself in the nightmare scenario of planning the wedding of her younger sister Tess and her boss George, who Jane is secretly in love with. And as the date looms closer, Jane finds herself getting close with the wedding journalist, Kevin, a marriage <laughs> cynic uh, who is secretly writing a feature story about Jane's experience as a 27-time bridesmaid. And just to give some historical context for the year this came out and was such a hit, making so Big much money, wild, the year is 2008. Bush is in his final term in office, and the U.S. economy is facing the worst financial crisis since the Great Depression. The mortgage market has collapsed, and the Dow Jones Industrial Average has lost 33.8% of its value. General Motors and Ford Motors Company are both reporting record losses, and the Lehman Brothers files for bankruptcy. Citigroup, the nation's largest bank, is reporting fourth quarter loss for 2007 that approaches $10 billion. Bank of America takes over countrywide financial the largest mortgage lender property prices continue to fall in the u.s and europe causing hardship for homeowners and financial institutions and then of course barack obama is elected president of the united states defeating republican john mccain a few pop culture references the biggest tv show is american idol slumdog millionaire wins best picture at the academy awards and Katy perry's i kissed a girl is topping charts but it's a it's wow. a interesting it's really interesting when you hear that context that this did so well people were <laughs> running out in the midst of this to see 27 dresses i just looked up <laughs> the actual release date and it was in january so like i guess the i guess the the financial crisis hadn't like fully fully Got hit it. yet so erica normally we start by asking why did you choose this movie to watch i kind of thrust this movie upon you to watch because upon I, you us. gave me two upon all of us to watch but you did give me That's a few right. options, and I what did choose one? this. Made in Manhattan. Yes. I was in the mood, you know, we have, it's the month of love is upon us, and I felt like we needed to, we needed to discuss it. So why did you pick 27 dresses out of your two options? <laughs> well, huge Grey's head, okay? I was a huge Grey's Anatomy fan, so I was like, Oh, wow, Captain okay, Mabel. yeah. But I also saw this in the theater, I remember, in college and I remember fucking loving it. <laughs> I'm sure that was like, you know, I was like, I don't know how old I what was I like 20 or 19 or something. I remember it being really like clean and bright and one of those movies where you're like, the apartment's so amazing and she's in New York. And, and I also think James Marsden in this movie is so hot that he's Dreamboat. so hot, right? I'm not, I'm oh my God. I'm like, just keep the camera Absolutely. on this man. Uh, in his stupid New Balances, but whatever. He's like kind of, <laughs> kind of schlubby. 
You know, they're like, yeah. they dress him down just a little bit yeah. to make, and, and then yeah. you're just like, oh God, this man is so hot, even in his dumbass, yeah. like, like exactly. baggy jeans and like, bl like blazer hoodie combo looks fucking phenomenal. <laughs> I also think it's so true, man. It, I also think that I picked it because I remember being re like talking so much shit about it after I first saw it about the sister especially so i was like oh this this movie will make me feel feelings mm. i guess oh interesting about the so like about the like relate like you were like depending. i mean i'm like what is this evil sister like this movie like she has to i mean we'll get to it but like i have sisters and i would never in my like if one of my sisters acted the way that this one did i would Call the police. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the way she treats Catherine he Heigl is depraved at some points. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's really interesting. You have to like really dig a little bit to be like, wait, who are the actual horrendous people here? And like yeah. while the sister is horrendous, it really is surprise, surprise, like the men and the patriarchy. Yeah. But like they really make an effort to be like, no, like you're going to hate these women. You're going to hate every woman. It's so women true. in this movie. What were your like initial feelings then rewatching? Did you talk the same kind of shit? Did you totally, feel totally like even more? I mean, my fir <laughs> first thing I was like, my first thought, which I can't believe I didn't have when I first saw it, was like, is she getting paid for all of these weddings that she's like birthing for these women? It doesn't seem that it's a business. It seems to be set up like no. she's just the girl. It's a compulsion. But I'm like, right. Yeah, and I'm like, first of all, that's so unbelievably expensive. Like, I've been a bridesmaid twice. I don't ever want to do it again. I think it's like true <laughs> hell, and it and it's so much money, and it's so many like dates to remember, and to be the maid of honor, and to not be the sister or the best friend, but just this random girl that you know is good at it. I was just very like, I can't believe we all just bought that without questioning that. Totally. So that's why I really wanted to talk about. I mean, I just was like, this is the perfect film to talk about the marriage industrial complex, which similar to the military industrial complex. It's just a major system creating massive profit while exploiting people's humanity, specifically women. And but all of us, everyone's being exploited under <laughs> this system of profit. But I just think I do think it's really interesting. You said like, oh she's not getting paid for it because I had the same memory of like maybe she's but this is like pre-girl boss because I feel like in the girl boss revisioning oh, of this yeah. they'd be like no she makes a, she makes her own she's like the boss of this like she's wedding plannering it but like makes a whole right. thing and they and you somehow make it better because she's profiting and exploiting other people would be the reworking of that but like right. she's not yet she's not there I do have to read the statistic just to get us current with where we're at in this complex. According to a report by CNN from June of 2023, the average for wedding costs in 2023 is $29,000, with the number reaching 35000 and over in some major cities. And per Zola's new first look report, released in 2023 of December, that average number is only going to increase. In 2024, the average cost of a wedding will tip over 30000 with more couples budgeting for events that cost between that baseline and 50K. Oh and again, God. that's the average. I'm also reading a statistic that says that the wedding industry in 2022 made roughly $58 billion. 
This is like big, big pharma, big oil. Like we gotta, like we gotta be careful of fucking big wedding. Big wedding. It's wild, and I think what I love about this over because there's a lot of there's a lot of movies that fall under this. Like, and we'll probably talk about them again. Wedding planner. There's the there's lots of bride fighting movies, but this one, the fact that it's the twenty seven dresses was such a material factor of like how yeah. much did those actual wedding dresses cost? She has the closet full of them, which she holds onto. You talked about the New York real estate. Like, how much is the real estate of just holding on exactly. to those dresses? It's like her main storage space in her small New York apartment. And she's like, nope, just for dresses. Doesn't make which any is sense. Also, yeah, which is also like, it's wild because her dream doesn't seem to be partnership, commitment, no. love with someone no. that understands and sees her. Like, the real, they're painting this thing, this woman as like, the dream is the wedding. The dream is the party. The dream is like being the bride, being the center of, I mean, even the sister gets engaged happily down to get married in like two weeks of knowing this guy. And then they're planning it in six. It's just so about the wedding. It's all about the wedding. I've never been at a wedding and not felt some at like at, like, at least one moment, like real existential, like sinking. Like, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> like, for us as, like, a, like, as a species? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And, like, this is... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my brain tends to, like, calculate things and see, like, at what an event, you know, and a lot, especially weddings where it's, like, at 4 o'clock, be here feeling this way. At 6 o'clock, be in this area feeling this way. Doing this and the, it's It's just, like, such an event and it, oh, I always have a moment or an hour at least of like, what the hell is going on? What hath God wrought? <laughs> one of those. I had never seen this movie before. And it really kind of, it really kind of sets Jane's love of weddings to be like pretty farcical, I thought, even from the beginning. Like this is a deeply broken person who is behaving in an unhinged manner. Like the first scene is like, she's a flower girl as a child and we find out that the wedding was just after her mom passed away and you know, helping the bride out gave her this joy. So we get, so right at the beginning, we're like, this woman is trying to fill a hole in her heart. And then as soon as we are introduced to her as an adult, the first scene is this big set piece where she is in two separate weddings on the same night and is at shuttling nighttime. back and forth at nighttime and is shuttling back and forth between the two of them because she has to attend both unbeknownst to the other guest. And in both weddings <laughs> is the person that the bride is like, Jane, you were the number one person in helping put this wedding together. Like it's so extreme that it, it shouldn't make sense on paper and it doesn't really, but like that, like this is the level of obsession that we are introduced to right off the bat. But I You're think right. there's a, an identification people have. Like, I think it's so extreme, but I also think, like, it's not that far off. And, like, it's the reason why nobody questions it in her life. And, like, society doesn't question it. And we're not watching, like, wow, it's weird that no one's questioning it. Because I think it actually reflects something very real about our society that, like, this insanity happens all the time. And then if you question it, you're kind of made to look insane. And I feel a little nervous talk, getting real and talking about it. But like, I will say, because I love every the weddings that I've gone to. I really do. But for example, my partner doesn't always want to go. And there's and I'm not saying, there's just like a, a questioning of like, is everything okay? Why, why not? And we're like, well, because we did the math and we can't afford it. 
Like, right. we literally can't fucking afford it. And it's just a weird that, like, so socially you have to explain that and not the other way around. Do you know what I mean? Like, you have to explain oh, yeah. all the other stuff right. you have, and not yeah. the other way around. Also, I want to say you're so right to say this, and I mean it when I say this. I've also loved all the weddings I've been into. That I'm not, like, in dread the whole time. Like, once the dad <laughs> yeah, gives yeah, the speech, yeah. I'm a mess. I'm crying, and I'm like, marriage forever. But I think that, like, <laughs> being in close proximity to brides and people planning their wedding, I think unless you have, like, so much disposable income, I think the few people in this life who can really throw that kind of, like, upscale, like, checks every Pinterest box wedding and it's actually not a big deal it's one thing, but like majority of the weddings, like, you know, that like the amount of money and saving and fighting and negotiating and figuring out and it just like, yeah, it breaks my heart. Like, I ultimately want there's that moment always when they say their vows or you see them kiss or you see the dad give the speech where you're like, I get it. I, I always, my heart always is like, oh, I get it. We're just humans and we want to scream that we love somebody and we want everybody to look and it's it can be so beautiful. But it kills me like how it can alter the course of your financial life. Like people are choosing these parties instead of down payments on a home, any travel. Yeah whatever private school in the future for their whatever the fuck they want no that's such a good point because there's just so much pressure from our society on everyone that's the thing you gotta do and you gotta do it well and you gotta do it properly and you gotta do it big so you don't embarrass me in front of like you know the rest of your family or my friends or whatever and it's i have spoken to people who are like yeah we don't really care it's just for our parents and it's like that sucks like that like we shouldn't have to do anything for anyone else other than ourselves <laughs> But I agree with you. Like I like I'm pro wedding the ceremony, the, the the communal sharing and voicing of love, but it's like it's the industrial part of it that is like right. so that is so harmful. Right. That you know that they're you're part of an, a bigger ecosystem that is like ultimately making women feel deeply horrible pieces of property. Oh, like yeah. at its core still, the industry itself is still so archaic, right? Even if you're like, you can do it in ways that are not that and there's this and that. You're like, it's still like the industry is geared towards that. You do not see, and you see this in this movie, like the men could practically not know something was like happening. They don't <laughs> care. And they're kind of like, eh, we're over it. Like the men are not jumping in cabs throwing $300 at service workers to be like, no. you go get me this other way. Like, and it's justified yeah. in some way. Like, that's not... And so it's a way of also making women just, like, minimizing the role of the woman. From the top, the way Jane has talked about, they're like, there's Van Gogh and Tiger Woods, and they name all these, like, male archetypes. And then they're like, and then yeah. there's Jane, who's really good at weddings. Weddings, and I yeah. Just... <laughs> the fucking and Tiger like... Woods of weddings. And we're just kind of like, it. there's a, there's a unspoken logic that's really into this movie that makes all of these rom-coms work that outside of our culture, like I don't think any of it would make it just, it's so dependent on our cultural understanding of this industry that it just wouldn't yeah. work in any other way. It has nothing to do with like inherent romance. Did you read um, Trick Mirror by Gian Valentino? No. She is a great um, essay called I the Dread, which I really recommend on the whole 
wedding industrial complex. And she talks about 27 dresses and she describes it as throughout the movie, Jane compulsively denies her self-worth and happiness, hoarding both things for her imaginary future wedding, planning other people's rehearsal dinners and accruing huge piles of resentment in her soul, which I think we touched on. And she also talks about how Jane has been broken by the cultural psychosis that tells women to cram a lifetime supply of open self-interest into a single, incredibly expensive day. Ooh, she nailed it with that. Freaks. Wow. Yeah, damn. It's also bleeding over into the other aspects of her life because when we're introduced to her at her job, which is working for this nonprofit run by Ed Burns, she's like made herself completely subservient to Ed Burns, her boss. And it's almost like a, I don't know, it's like a heightened, like sideways version of what a marriage, like what a shitty, terrible, toxic marriage is or is portrayed in our society where it's just like this aloof guy who just is like, oh, babe, you know, like I couldn't run this company at all if it wasn't for you. And just like her willing to just bend over backwards to, to, appease him in every single way possible. She takes the breadcrumbs of that really happily. So like she, he looks so happy that she like what, picked out his tie or some shit and, or like did some <laughs> like menial and he's like, oh God, Jane, I love you. And she doesn't look forlorn or like sad or like that's all I'm good for. She looks genuinely like, yeah, this is what I deserve. This is what I, I get to be the one who picks out his tie and it's just totally enough for me. Um, but I wanted to say, which is bullshit. I wanted to say to what you said, Frank, a little bit ago about how like nobody's like calling out this insanity at the beginning where she's like, it's just absolutely like a farce. And I'm like, that's why James Mars's character is so hot because he's the one to do it. Like he's the one to be like, what the hell? This is very not normal. You know, like he <laughs> yeah. follows her. He's like, this isn't normal and this is crazy. And I'm going to call this woman out on it. Which is also like super, it's so the feminine, what they do to us in these movies is like, we are so unaware of our shit. We're just bumbling around with all of these insane character defects. And we don't even know until a man comes and says, hey, I got it. And she meets the man by by passing out and falling down. I'm like, look, do we need that? No. Is it hot? Yeah, but like it's yeah. the classic, it's the classic, like it's 2008 and they're still like, okay, the woman can't even stand up straight. So she falls down and she knocks herself unconscious. And then the man comes and is like, hey, by the way, I think you're so crazy and batshit. And I want to like follow you and and make you see like who you could actually be. Yeah. And I was a sucker for it. Oh, I was <gasps> a total suck for it. Oh, and yeah. he's going to come in and basically tell her, hey. You know you're being exploited by all this shit, right? Like, <laughs> let me teach you to say no. Let's cosplay you, like, saying no to me. Like, say no. Oh, you can't. Oh, tricked you. Gotcha. And then he comes in and exploits the shit out of her. And he writes an article about her so that he can, like, get higher up in his... Remember, he's like, I'm going to write this article about you because you're so wild. Like, well, you're he doesn't just... tell and her. He doesn't even tell well, her. Well, no, he doesn't tell her. 
No, That's no, no, the no. whole thing. Unethical journalistic practices by Kevin, the the fucking Bro, wedding journalist. Fucks her in a car. Part. Fucks her in a car. <laughs> writes a whole story about her. Doesn't let her know or go to her for comment or anything. Like this man should be. She should sue this fucking man for libel. Is what she should do or defamation. But rather. is Jane oh, yeah, gonna do that? Sure. I think no. not. What is, what does Jane do? She marries him. She jumps aboard a ship. Right, yeah, of course. She, she has to. jumps aboard a ship. Yeah. For this man. <laughs> and it's just like, for me, if it was anyone else playing that role, I would be like, you're a sucker. But I, I really think the like, this, this sounds so bad, but like, he's so hot, dude. <laughs> yeah, he's so hot. And he's like the perfect foil for contrast for her. He's like, hey, you're uptight. Check me out. My shirt isn't tucked in. That's the character development we get. Yeah, and I think watching this movie just like pointed so much to my brainwashing, like my conditioning of like, wow, like this would these were really all that we saw growing up. Like these stories of women needing men to set them straight or like get them on the right path or like shake them up a bit. And I just felt myself falling into it. It's kind of like that like, oh, this is a comfortable place I know. Like sexy man tells me I'm crazy and to follow him and like okay you know in watching this initially I was like every single person is awful in this like I don't think there's a single redeemable character but then like in I think in speaking now and like having a little distance from it I was like it's really unfair like all of the pressures this movie put on Katherine Heigl's character and then like you know once she starts going through the planning of her sister and her boss who she loves his wedding she's keeping it all inside and like as the audience are like why aren't you saying anything just fucking tell them why are you doing mm -hmm. this to yourself but right. if you like zoom out for a second you're like well of course she's not going to say anything this woman is like pathologically compulsed to like help <laughs> everyone make the perfect wedding mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. of course this mm -hmm. isn't her fault she's just been absolutely destroyed by this industry i i did cry yeah. for anyone who hasn't seen the movie and doesn't plan on it she clips like she like sits down and reads the paper for the wedding stuff and like she saves it like a serial killer would save clippings. Yeah. Wait, you cry? I did cry. And here's my the thing. I cried when she walks in and sees that the sister has cut up her mom's wedding dress. That's that a sad. Me. Yeah. That's a brutal scene. No, actually, I, but, but I first cried when the dad gave the wedding dress to the sister. That's when I first cried. So I think that dynamic is the part of the movie that kills me the most is that like we're watching women pitted against each other like always like surprise surprise but that these are sisters and you're asking me to believe that like uh, a woman who was raised by her older sister and had no other feminine like female in her life this was her mother figure her role model her whole life is this Cold, like you're to me I was like this is a psychopath yeah. like you've written an actual psychopath like I don't there's not an ounce of empathy understanding compassion nothing and like I have two younger sisters and I I just like can't wrap my head around the cold way that they wrote this feud it's just so unrealistic unless you know look DM me if you and your sister are literally and tell me what happened to you guys. But No, that's, that is such a good point. 
you're right. It's it's some of the most ruthless, cold behavior that you would ever see a sibling treat another one. That it, like that wouldn't be in like a like a family drama or something. Like Mm-mm. she says, "Hey, I know you wanted to get married at this venue and use mom's dress, but I'm gonna do that." Like that is you're right. That is awful. That is abs- yeah. that is like beyond the pale. Also, the fact that it's passed down that you're like all they. All we learn about the mom, all they value about the mom is that her wedding day was the most important day of her life. <laughs> Not even like their birth, the birth of her children. Like that is so depressing, but it's so it's so clear. And that is like so what so many people are taught to expect and live for. And what a brilliant like system of the patriarchy. Just make this one really expensive day what like all these women live for and value themselves on. I think most I think a lot of people that's not the only thing in their lives anymore but it's suddenly you I know a lot of people who deal with that duality of like that's not who I am but suddenly this is becoming like the value and representation of like who I am yeah and it's not them it is this inherited system that they're grappling with it's such a good way it's such a good way to distract us and steal like years I mean if the the like trope is like she's been dreaming of this wedding since she was a little girl. Like the idea that like at all times we are collecting our likes and dislikes in terms of the wedding we want to one day have or whatever. I saw a TikTok of a girl who was like, here's all like, since she was little, her father's been recording her like be like, this is my message to the wedding party like that she's going to play at her. And I'll and I'll be honest, my first thought was like, oh my God, that is so... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, that is so... And I'm like, that is... That is that like what kind of like, you know that. what I mean that you're like yeah like I'm ten yeah. and I'm I would like you to record me and we're gonna do this every year for that future date that is gonna be the most important date so that everyone there can see me that I've been planning this without doesn't matter who the freaking person is it's interesting because I I related to I didn't realize like till I was watching it how much I related to Jane like I was raised by my dad had two younger sisters, was the oldest sister and um, mom, you know, not really around. So had to be like the caretaker for these little sisters, which is why maybe I was so angry at the little sister. Like you ungrateful bitch, you have no idea. But I also (laughs) recognize that like, it's not just the wedding. It's, it's the idea of marriage or right. It's been forever that we like, we used to like sell our daughters to like, for like in exchange of whatever, we'd have dowries, all that shit. And I feel that even with my dad, like I'm 36 and I'm single. And when I was like 22, he didn't want me to date anyone. He was like, focus on your career. Men are trash. Don't, you know, and if you do date someone, he better be like this, this, this. And I'm 36 and he talked, now he's literally like, just any, just do it. Just anyone, just anyone, just like, just date, just find someone. And I'm like, I understand that like, this idea of like that's how to feel be safe in the world is like who's gonna take care of my daughter and it's really hard for people even me I have to work against it to break up with this idea that we have that like that we need a man and we need a protector and provider and that being the protector and provider for ourselves isn't possible and like looking at Jane I'm like she's I don't know how it's a fake world where she's an assistant and lives in the most incredible New York City apartment, but she looks like she's providing for herself. 
You know what I mean? And yet, yeah. like, it's still like poor Jane doesn't have the husband or now I'm going off into 20 tangents, but I related. No, I love that point. It's it's institutional. It's totemic. You know, marriage is part of capitalist heteronormative patriarchy. There, there are these, uh, you know, touchstones in your life that you have to clear in order to be like complete full human. Must go to college, must get married, must buy house, must have kids. If you don't do those four things specifically, you are incomplete person. Um, I saw this video from a, uh, a divorce attorney a few like years ago, totally changed my perspective. He was like, I'm a divorce attorney. 54% of marriages end in divorce. We know this statistically. Okay, so then imagine, you know, how many people stay together for the kids? How many stay together even though they're miserable? How many stay together just because it would be more difficult to get divorced? Let's say another 20% or so, give or take. Oof. So we're talking about an institution that has a 75% failure rate ostensibly and yet we still view it as the correct right thing to do in your life like no one is like wow. hey maybe don't do that wedding we only 25 percent of them work out it's sick it's really <laughs> sick. It's sick we are fucked <laughs> when i thought about it that way i was like that is wild i'm grateful you spelled it out back that to way. your existential crisis yeah well the, the other thing that fucks me up is anytime i see like lists that are like the new wedding trends. Oh, when I'm yeah. like, there's yeah. trends for weddings. So like we're so far removed from the like sacred point of it that still plucks at my heart. The idea of like commitment and right community and love and all of that. We're so far away from that. That's not what it's about at all. It almost scares me like it's a jinx if, if you get married which I'm not telling that to anyone watch in a year I'm like married and I have the biggest wedding in the world. <laughs> but it de it just feels like anything that's like the hottest trends for your wedding. I'm like, what are, where are we at? What are we doing? Why, what are we doing? And the just, yeah, I'm just thinking you said that. And I was like thinking about that last scene at her wedding where she has all her bridesmaids wearing the dresses and it go, I mean, it's a great, visual yeah but just the yeah. destruction she is the loneliest woman in the world and also like the destruction of any relationship in her life in pursuit of this imagined one to this man who doesn't let who actually hates her but at the same time we're led to believe that she has ingratiated herself with 27 different women to the point yeah, that they yeah, all yeah, want right. her in her so she's like at once the loneliest but also she must be like the best friend in the world to 27 different people. Like it really. Yeah, she's like the most popular people pleaser. Like it must be like yeah. word throughout the land that like if you want something. Well, she's giving free yes labor. She's yeah. yeah. She's like, I'm going to literally show up free labor here and you'll just have to come to my wedding. But that's what I mean. Like the destruction under this. They're like, I don't care if you're my actual friend. I think my favorite person in the movie is Judy Greer. A thousand percent. Absolutely. She does what she's the always she my wants. favorite person in the movie. Yeah, I know. She says what she wants, <laughs> but she's also so she's like painted at first as like, oh, she's that bad friend who like just stayed out all night and like gives bad advice. But when she when Catherine Heigl like totally d destroys her sister at the rehearsal dinner with the like video montage, it's Judy Greer who's like, that wasn't chill. You're like, oh, you do have a moral compass. You're yeah. just like, yeah. you're just like, we love, I love her. 
Yeah, the movie also does that like shitty thing where it kind of paints Judy Greer as like, oh, she's like just the slutty friend. And yeah. like yeah. you can feel yeah. the judgment yeah. just in the way that like yeah. the jokes and the character totally. are written. With 2023 perspective, you're like, dude, this chick's like fucking for a day and a half and then rolling into work. She rules. Ooh. Like that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. and? Well, I also just like, I think that my other thought that just came up is that I think a lot of these movies the way that the woman is in the movie is not lovable. But the man comes along and can see through that. He can see the lovable mm. part of her. And he can help her to become the lovable version of herself. What's the movie like where we are watching her and she's insane and she's crazy and she's clipping wedding fucking things and she's like jacking off to her closet of bridesmaids dresses. And then the guy comes along and loves her and is like, this wild bitch is my main girl. Like, I love you. Like, what movie would that be? Like, I also love weddings this much. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This was another thing, just back to the James Marsden of it all. He also goes into her date book. Evil. And writes his evil. As someone who loves a date book and a calendar (laughs) is my sacred space. If anyone went in and took at a time when you're not have there's that's your there's no Google calendar like that's it and writes it, 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 it like a kindergartner finger paints his name all over every date opens it that's at all if wild. someone opens it at all because the thing is also like it's not like a clean planner it's clearly got like a million like post-its and memorabilia and like her it's like it looks like her whole little life yeah and we're just supposed to be like oh he's so i mean he is but like he's so cute like looking through her shit i would be mortified i would literally he's shaking it up yeah yeah (laughs) the (laughs) actual worst so much unforgivable behavior from him the only thing like this is this reminded me a lot of tom hanks and you've got mail if anyone oh, other yeah. than James Marsden was playing this character, we'd be like, this man is evil. Get him away from us. Right. Except he's just the hottest. So we're like, okay. Thank you. Yeah. I think we we got him just really quickly touch in on the the big brother, big sister, like the big brother oh, yeah. of the bot. Like that was a pretty wild thing to also add to the sister's personality of being the worst human in the world. So like he has a little, a young um, brother from brother, brothers and sisters. What's it called? Big brothers, big sisters. Oh yeah, big brother. Like yeah. the big, the big brother, big sister the boys program. And girls yeah, club, whatever. Which feels yeah. very two thousand. Yeah, it's very totally. Young. And I believe he's Hispanic, and she decides to make him a maid. Yeah, we're yeah. also but adding sister. that like she's incredibly racist and tone deaf, and yes. like that. That part to me was like, oh, say. So Okay, so I think the goal of this character even being in the movie is like, how can we write the worst possible woman to ever exist? It's so 2000. It's so this era of rom-com and comedies too, particularly with like Latina characters that are working class where they always have to distinguish an asshole upper class white person by having them make a really disparaging or like gross joke at like I've just seen this as a trend there's one that I've referenced like you'll just find these very particular jokes and it's like we don't we know she's an asshole we didn't need your superfluous racism in this film to do it you're just putting that in there to be racist yourself 
but they do it in a way that feels like, ha ha, we're just showing you who this character is. Mm -hmm. And you're like, no, you're just showing us who you are. Like, we're, yeah. we're good. <sighs> Wild. So Erica, the last thing we do is we give out uh, awards for this movie. We've got three of them. Our first award is the best politics award. Goes to the character with the best politics in the movie, which is tough for this one. Although we did tough. kind of we did we did kind of say Judy Greer. That's that was gonna yeah. be my my thought. Yeah, she's doing her fucking thing. She's doing her thing. She's out there having fun, living her life, not feeling like shame or judgment. And and then you're right, and then you're right. She tells Kat, she tells Jane at the end, like, yo, that was actually you, you just kind of blew up their wedding and that was kind of shitty. Yeah, there's no one else. Everyone else is pretty shitty. It's shitty, yeah. <laughs> also, this is just like in the middle of like Judy Greer's 2000s, like I am the best friend in every single rom-com run. And she's just the absolute best. I sat next to Judy Greer at a benefit dinner one night. And I have to say, she was the fucking coolest. Really? Super fucking Ooh. cool. She was just like, hey, what's your name? What are you, like, what are you doing here? What's going on? And we just like chatted the whole night. I was like, I fucking, I love you so much, Judy. And Greer, you know so. that, ah, oh, that's so nice to hear because every time she comes on screen in anything, like literally anything, you're like, oh, I feel so much better about whatever I'm watching. Totally. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> she made this character choice. There's like one scene. I don't know what's happening, but she made this choice to be there. She's like cutting her dead ends. Dead ends, the yeah. the office scissor. Yeah. And I was like, that's fucking brilliant. <laughs> she's too, yeah, she's too good for everyone she's in a movie with. For sure. Mm -hmm. It's great. It's brilliant. Okay, so that was easy. We all, we all agree. There are no other contenders. The, the award for worst politics, which goes to the character with the worst politics in the movie. I feel like this might be, have a lot of nominees. Who, who are you giving it to, Erica? It's like I, I'm torn between... The I think the sister, in my opinion, what was her name even in it? Tess. She only because it's like so like it's so narcissistic. It's so narcissistic. What do I want? What? How do I get it? I don't care who hurts. I don't care who suffers. I have to get what I want. I'll lie. I'll change my entire personality. I'll betray every family member. I don't care. I think that's pretty. Yeah, I would vote her. And I will be racist. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and also, <laughs> and also build a wall. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, I think just for, for all of that, I mean, like, the runner-up would be James Marsden character, Kevin, for, as we mentioned, going through her calendar and doing defamation without her consent. Right. Okay, I'm giving it to the patriarch himself, the dad. I thought he oh, was shit. Oh. <laughs> heinous. And I'll tell you why. There was a scene where when Tess brings the boss guy back and she's like, this is my husband. This is we're married. Aren't you happy, dad? And like, he's not questioning that they've only known each other for like, what, a month? Or that he has like 15 years on her. Age 15 years on her is like, doesn't so like right. clearly his other daughter, if you have any eyes, is in love with this guy, probably only talks about this guy. No. What does he say? He shakes his hand like a good man. And he's like. You, sir, you employed my daughter. You married my other daughter. George, you're my hero. You're he so basically right. sucks this man's dick. Like, wow. they are just yeah. like, and I was like there. I was like, oh, I see. I see. I see where it is. And also, like, fuck this. And then that made me think in that moment, oh, you're the real villain here that I haven't yeah. even been thinking about this whole movie. And I go back to the beginning of the movie, the flashback. 
he let his daughter like he's like i don't know he's like at the without the the mom is gone and he's literally like i couldn't possibly take on any of the parental roles <laughs> right i'm not taking you to the take bathroom, you to the bathroom. <laughs> i don't know how to tie a ribbon in a little girl's hair what's a vagina yeah <laughs> yeah like absolutely yeah. me patriarch i was like you sir are the problem and it all started here with you you're wow. a low-key genius, and that was... That's good. I did not I'm, see that I'm, coming. Yeah, I'm switching it, over my vote to the dad. The handshake well. yeah. got me. I said, George, Because also, you know what? Tess wouldn't be such a fucking wild nightmare if that wasn't her father. Wow. And that's real democracy right there. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's real democracy. And our last award, Erica, yeah. is Best Supporting Character slash Spinoff. So this goes to maybe one of your favorite supporting characters and... I don't know, a potential spinoff you would want to see them in. That's a good question. I mean, we already just went down on Judy Greer for an hour, but I'm going to say I would like to watch Judy Greer be however old she'd actually be right now and never got married and never had a wedding. And it's not a fucking issue and it's not a problem. And it's not what the show's about at all. And we just get to watch her like be... Let's just, I would just like the spinoff to be Judy Greer in many situations. That would, we could call it that. <laughs> Let's just watch her like not, <laughs> not care about getting married. Or like, oh, wait, wait, one more, one more. We're like 20 years ahead. Fucking Me Too has happened. And Catherine Heigl's like, oh my God, I'm in a like low key abusive relationship with like a gaslighting, like <laughs> whatever. And like, comes to and is like and but he's still so hot so she's like we're gonna work this out and he does let's just have a movie where hot james marsden does everything we want these hot white men to do okay like come to fucking jesus on a lot of shit yeah (laughs) like own up to all of the harm that he has caused like do just like intensive therapy intensive therapy like so much yeah it would just be the true porn I want to get. I want a movie where we get all these like dudes, like the actors who've been in these movies together, and we have to like be like, you now have to like do. We're gonna record you doing therapy over these like roles, and like you have to do this work to unpack this shit on this like mm-hmm. Tom Hanks, mm-hmm. James Mart, like all of them. That's what I. But Love that's that. not my pitch for this award. My pitch for this award is the taxi cab driver, which I did want to talk about. Oh, yeah. That pissed me off because, like, I just thought, wow. And it was just such a, like, she lost me there, you know, where she just jumps in and any kind of sympathy I would have had for Jane. But the way she treats that cab driver, just like, you're going to, you're, you're, A, you're going to need this money, this $300 to do whatever I want. I'm going to treat you like you're my servant now. And I'm going to chastise you for looking back. Like, God forbid he looks back. I'd be looking back, too. You're a stranger ran into my car ordering me to go here. And anytime he looks back or she says he does, she's like, that's $50. And she starts deducting his pay. (laughs) And he's like, he looks scared to me. He doesn't look like he wants, is attracted to her, wants to look at her. He's just a New York City cab driver trying to, like, do his job. She doesn't ask his consent to jump in and do any of that. So... You are just blowing my mind right now. 
if it was gender swapped and it was like some guy getting in the back of like a female cab driver and was like, hey, I'm going to have my dick out. Don't look at yeah, me. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. You'd be like, this is fucked up. Oh, you look. This is fucked up. That's 20 bucks off your paycheck, babe. You're yeah, so right, absolutely man. absolutely not cool. I don't have any other pitches. I thought those were were perfect. And I honestly, I'm uninterested in, in so many of these characters. So. I know, dude. That's the real deal. I think that's why I keep going back to like, isn't James Marsden's face so pretty? Because I think that the movie was so much, so devoid of really, I just like couldn't latch onto anyone, really, and be yeah. like, "This yeah. is whose camp I'm in. I am rooting for this person." Yeah, I wonder if this is considered a like. It's such an interesting one. It wasn't a classic for me, but I'm glad we started here. Like I said, I think it's the most material of the like wedding movies. But we'll definitely have to jump into some. There's the wedding singer. The wedding planner. Wedding planner. I mean, I think we could probably cover literally date. like every the wedding date. There's like we could probably cover my best every friend's song. wedding, my runaway best bride, wedding. <gasps> runaway wow. bride, four weddings yeah, and a funeral. Dude. I could just talk we should do a spinoff of this day. podcast where we just talk about weddings and leading up to my wedding. <laughs> Through that experience, a gorgeous man we hears me on this podcast. <laughs> and he's like, who's this girl who hates weddings? I'm, she's crazy. I'm going to change her. And then him and I fall in love. And and then we do a live wedding. And then That's we'll play the podcast pitch. episodes in, in, intermittently between <laughs> like the ceremony and the reception and the cocktail hour. Yeah. You know, like that way people get to hear it as well. Exactly, exactly. Perfection. All right. So this is, I think, where we're going to cap this conversation for now. Although, what a generative movie this, yeah, this was. This was a fun for one. Us. This was really fun. Thanks for having me. Up, this was fun. You guys are so smart. You're not gone yet. Because oh, right. before okay. we wrap up, we like to talk to our guests how, as artists, as people, you strive to practice your values, be them anti-capitalist or your artist values in your life, even with all its complexities and contradictions. Is there one thing that you're doing in your life right now that's a practice you would want to share with us? Okay. Anytime that I'm resting or taking pleasure or doing nothing that is making me any money or furthering my quote-unquote career, I feel incredible guilt. And... I made it a point in the past year or so to reach out to the people I know, um, you are one of them, that will remind me that that's not, that that's internalized capitalism, that me being at rest or me being in pleasure or me doing nothing is like an act of, you know, resistance and that um, it's, it makes sense. Anytime that I can be reminded that like, it's not my fault that I feel incredibly guilty when I'm like looking at the trees outside my window and drinking my coffee without any other, you know, email, whatever act that I could be doing alongside this to make sure that I'm still in the game. So I guess the main thing I'm doing is trying to take up space as like a human who wants to experience joy and pleasure without and and alongside that i i've been trying to be of service to people that i love and it gives me that like community feeling that like tribe feeling that feeling like we have to help each other and that helps me a lot i also go thrifting i know that's really big in in the anti-capitalist movement oh yeah we love a thrift we love, we love that we love a thrift 
Yeah. Um, Erica, it was so great seeing you. Um, congrats on Vacuum Girl. I hope that I get to see it as well because, yeah, the, the reviews, they're in, they're hot. Everyone's loving this show. So congratulations and thank you thank for you. being here today. Thank you guys Where so much. Where can our so audience fun. find you and your work? Go to my Instagram. <laughs> it's G-U-R-U-B-F or Erica Baton, it'll also come up on Instagram. And I always post about my shows on there. But you just reminded me that I should probably have a website. But for now, it's just that Instagram. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. I hope we have you back soon. Thanks, guys. This was so fun. Thank you all so much for listening. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And if you want to support the show and get access to our premium episodes, you can go to mvcpod.com to find all of that info. For next week's movie, we will be watching the 2006 Disney Pixar classic, Cars. Thanks again. Bye.